<laughs> What's happening, weirdos? Uh, this is a not a typical episode. This is live from the Helium Comedy Club in Portland, where I did a special live comedy sex god talk, um, which just turned out really, really fun, really funny, really awesome, I hope. I mean, people were laughing. <laughs> it was my favorite live show that I ever did promoting uh, Comedy Sex God, but also getting into a lot of terrain that I didn't cover in the book. Um, honestly, some of the kernels of what I think will be my next book are in this talk. Um, and it was really, really awesome. And I was so stoked that they recorded it. It was recorded by my new friend, Luke Burbank. Luke is incredible. He hosts a show in Portland, a radio show called Live Wire Radio. Please be sure to check that out. He also does a daily podcast called TBTL. Check it out at www. Who needs that? TBTL.net. Go to TBTL.net and check out Luke Burbank, who is a wonderful interviewer, a very, very funny guy, and a very engaging host. Please check out his work. And thank you again to Luke and to Livewire Radio for letting us use this audio. I was so thrilled. Afterwards, we were both just kind of buzzing from the chat. I was like, tell me you recorded the whole thing. And they did. And here it is. I'm so stoked. As I've been mentioning, there is an uh, album called Pete Holmes Living at Largo that we printed only 500 of uh, at, to make it a special thing, to make it a collector's item, to make it um, just a perfect diehard stand-up or me fan that you want to buy something exclusive and special. All of the proceeds go to the Littlest Tumor Foundation, a wonderful foundation to support. Um, we're not doing it for business. We're not doing it for profit. I just wanted to put out something special. It seems like there's so much comedy out there. I wanted to make a record of a real show that only a few people would get that I'm only going to promote on this podcast. So um, thank you for listening. And as a thank you, if you want, go to 800poundgorillarecords.com slash Pete Holmes, and you'll see the link there to my uh, limited edition record, Living at Largo. Only 500 will ever exist. If you'd like one, go check it out at 800 Pound Gorilla Records. And uh, I hope you enjoy. Um, let's see. Obviously, you can get Comedy Sex God. That that is that sort of goes without saying. Uh, Largo. Oh yeah, I got my live Largo show once a month. Go to largo-la.com. I also want to give a shout out to our Pete's Picks. Pete Picks, as you know, are not traditional ads. These are products that I used first and foremost and loved and fell in love with and then reached out to the company to see if they'd be interested in giving you guys a promo code. And they did. The first is the original Pete's Pick, which I have here on my desk, which is Charlotte's Web Hemp Oil. Obviously, it's made from hemp, which is one of our great plant allies, but they use science to remove THC. THC is what gets you stoned, and they leave the body and brain beneficial CBD. CBD, for me, uh, anecdotally speaking, is a wonderful mood elevator. It's an anxiety reducer. It uh, increases my sense of well-being, my sense of calm. I love it when I travel. I love it when I'm working and I feel a lot of stress. I'm feeling a lot of stress at work. I will take some CBD. And the great thing about CBD as opposed to THC is it gives you that sort of edge removal quality without taking you out of the game. You can focus. You can work. In fact, I find it easier to write when I'm taking it. My brain just sort of eases into the flow of whatever it is I'm doing when I take a little bit of CBD. I like the original formula. Um, it's, it's used to be called Everyday Advanced. It's original formula now. 
It's a little bit stronger, so it's a little bit more expensive, but I can literally just take a couple drops of it. It's almost sub-perceptual and just get that goodness glowing from inside of me. You can also get, they make uh, hemp-infused balms and creams, so you can get it on you topically to soothe your skin. It's a wonderful feeling. Really kind of hard to describe, uh, but everybody that comes up to me on the street that says they tried it, they love it. So the best thing to do if you want to try it and show your support of this podcast is go to cwhemp.com slash weird and use promo code KEEPITCRISPY19 and you will get 10% off your order and see what all the hubbub is about with one of my favorite things, Charlotte's Web Hemp Oil. The other one, speaking of plant allies, uh, allies, excuse me, for people that are trying to eat more plant-based nutrition but don't know where to start, I just turned my friend Science Mike on to cachava, something that I take almost every single day, probably every single day, uh, whenever I have a smoothie or whenever I'm at home, or actually I travel with it as well. This is the quickest and easiest way I've found to get plant-based superfood nutrition into your diet every single day. Uh, It's made of some of the most exotic, nutrient-rich superfoods that have been revered by tribal cultures for centuries. Literally, when I called Kachava to talk to them about this partnership, we had to wait for their CEO to get back from the jungle. He was in the jungle. (laughs) These are the real deal adventurers. Uh, It's not just some nameless, faceless corporation. These people go into the jungle. They find wonderful things. They study them. They try them. And they put them into this uh, one simple product that is basically a nutrition overload. I would wager that most people, if you drink a cachava smoothie, are getting more nutrients than most people get in a month. It's 100% plant-based. There's omega-3s from chia seed and flax seed, which is a wonderful place to get your omega-3s as opposed to fish oil, which I always picture just an anonymous barrel of bottom-feeding fish and just being pressed and some gross oil oozing out. Get it from plants. It's got eight superfruits. It's got 17 greens and veggies. It's gluten-free. It's soy-free. There's no artificial sweeteners or preservatives. It's just got enough coconut nectar in there, which is a low glycemic sweetener, and enough powdered coconut milk in there just with water. Makes it creamy. Mixes with the raw cacao. It's like a chocolate milkshake. They also make vanilla. Still has cacao in it. Still amazing. Digestive support built right into it. Adaptogens built right into it. 24 grams of plant-based protein. 9 grams of fiber. You drink one of these in the morning. Keeps you full for hours. It's basically like a meal in a pill. A lot of people I didn't know this take cachava as a meal replacement for weight management. I take it because it makes me feel amazing. Helps me function at the top of my game. I Love it. And as I always say, Val loves it. She not, normally doesn't like the weird hippie things that I bring bring into our world, but she loves Kachava as well. So if you want to show it and try it, try it and show your support of the podcast, 20% off if you go to Kachava, dot com slash weird, you'll get 20% and get some sweet, sweet Kachava into your life. And finally, I want to give a shout out to Me Undies. I'm wearing them right now. Let's see. Um, there's some sort oh they're pinatas <laughs> they're pink with pinatas on them i love me undies i realized recently not that long ago that i was 40 years old and i hated my underwear i hated that it didn't fit right i hated the patterns i hated everything about it and i realized i was starting my day with something that was bumming me out in a small way but in a way that was lasting small things add up 
and I wanted to start my day in a good way with the softest, most comfortable, best-fitting underwear that I had ever found, which is MeUndies. I heard other people advertising it on podcasts, and I did a complete underwear overhaul for both me and for Val, and I absolutely love them. That's why they're a Pete's pick. They're made from micro-modal fabric, which science, the miracle of science, has given us. It's three times softer than boring old cotton. Balls in your court, cotton. And they have wonderful themes. I know this sounds silly, but I look forward to picking out my underwear in the morning. They have Star Wars themes. They have weird pirate themes. They have, obviously, pinata themes. I put them on. Not only does it feel great and fit great, but it makes me smile in the morning. They also make lounge pants, which there's a good chance most episodes of this podcast since I found them. I've recorded in my MeUndies lounge pants. They get so many compliments. I have a pair with lightsabers. I have a pair that look like I walked through uh, the set of the Max on Save by the Bell. They're just like 80s lounge pants. They also make onesies made from micro-modal fabric. Softest lounge pants and onesies you've ever felt. Incredible. I also belong to their monthly subscription, which means in the mail, I get a new pair of underwear sent to me. And it's weird to admit, I really look forward to seeing what they send me every month. They have the most fun prints and colors. It's the best fitting, best feeling, best looking underwear you can buy. They also have normal colors if you're looking for like a formal wear or a big fancy date night. Yeah, they, they got your they got you covered. Whether you want to be funky or normal, MeUndies got you covered. So, try them. I love them. Val loves them. And they have a great offer. You can get, I want to make sure I get this right, for first time purchasers, when you purchase any MeUndies product, you get 15% off and free shipping. 15 so go to MeUndies.com slash weird. That's MeUndies.com slash weird. You'll get 15% off and show your support of this podcast. Are those MeUndies? How could they be your undies? I'm wearing them. Uh, thank you to MeUndies. Uh, all right. That's it, guys. Enjoy my chat with Luke Burbank talking about uh, a lot of weird, deep shit. I hope you enjoy it. Get into it. You made it. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Is this on? Is this on? That, you can hear that's it? a mic in Portland. Well, you're in the front row. You could have. You... <laughs> is it on? Okay. It sounds medium compared to mine. Yeah, that's aggressive. I feel like that was your idea. I, and I don't like that we're going to be like one inch higher than your chair. It didn't work out though, dude. John Stewart on the Daily Show. John Stewart's like three foot two. <laughs> this is some, yeah. Everybody tweet about this. Let's get a let's get a scandal going. But on the Daily Show, his his desk was like like a pharmacist. Basically, <laughs> he was up here, and then when he came down to say hello, he was hi. He was down there. It was wonderful. We all love him, but he's small. You don't have to back away. He's a national treasure. I'm so glad you're here. You don't. Yeah, I really am. We were, this is Luke, everybody. We're fast friends. Luke. And I, one of my. It sounds like boo. Yeah. Go I'm with, could, go with the second part because the Lou sounds. changing my name to Ray because it'll sound like yay. Yeah, that is a me joke. I knew we were friends. <laughs> that is a me joke. I would yell it and that's what would make it mine. <laughs> I love that the announcement before the show, they were like, no heckling. Did you notice? I bet some of you noticed this. No heckling during the show. Which means when the show's done, feel free to linger. Be like, this sucks! 
like it's then it's okay. And I also love it's courteous. I'm sure the guy uh, did not write it, but it's like please take this time to finish your conversations, which I love that we're all having like deep enough conversations that they need summation. <laughs> Like, like, you're all going to be like, oh, we're about to start. And that's when I decided to stop eating buffalo. <laughs> like a therapist trying to back time yes. where you are in the session. Right. I'm always like, I'm, I, working in radio, I've got my eye on that clock. And I can feel when Tara, my therapist in oh. Bellingham, when she's starting to really, like, wrap the conversation up. Let me ask you this, Luke. I'm going to ask you a question. Do you, some people do, some people don't. I'm not going to tell you which one I am. <laughs> Then we're going to get a poll from the audience. <laughs> Do you mind that your therapist is only listening to you because you're paying him? It's I, a real question. It's fair. One helpful heckler. <laughs> Don't swarm on her. That was fine. It is fair, right? Well, I'm going to ask you afterwards, too. We're going to talk about this. I like it. You like it? Yes, because it means that there's a professional dynamic to what is going on. She and agrees. Because if it's just your friend, yep. I'm thinking to myself, man, they're tired of hearing about this. But That's I'm paying it. Tara $160 an hour. Yes. I go and see my Tara, Dr. Gary Penn, <laughs> whose book is Who available now. in the book, right? Yes. And I pay Dr. Gary Penn cold, hard cash so I don't have to go, I'm sorry to keep talking about my mother. That's what you have to say. He's so I don't lose friends. You know that one friend who doesn't go to a therapist and every time you see him, they're like, my dad, at it again. And you're like, fucking pay somebody, Steve. It's Pay somebody and shit elsewhere. I was about to bring up uh, something that Charlie Sheen said about paying people to have sex with him. Dude, I, I feels... actually think he's quoting Humphrey Bogart, because I often say this when I have this conversation. Yes, I'm seeing other audiences. <laughs> <laughs> Is Humphrey Bogart said, with sex workers, you're not paying for the sex, you're paying them to... Leave. You're paying them to leave afterwards. Yes. Say, oh, I, I know, it's a little bit... before the sex. That was... I'm doing it Don't wrong. leave before the sex. <laughs> If that's your thing, it's called a talk job. Um, I would be a talk job guy. I'd be like, how are you? What happens when we die? And I'd give them $100. What do you pay? I don't know. What, I'm just kidding. Uh, no shame in the game. I don't know why I picked on you. So do you mind, madam? Yeah. It keeps things clean. Keeps it clean. And even though that Humphrey Bogart thing, which Charlie Sheen said, uh, I, I get it. It keeps it clean. Yes. Kind of. <laughs> Not in your genitals. <laughs> That's going to burn for a few weeks. I am... One of the many things about the book that I'm excited to talk about is the topic of dry humping, though. Yeah. Which, which, that's a little foreshadowing for later on, but... Well, let's do this, Luke. I want to start with dry humping. <laughs> <laughs> and... I, I do want to salute the audience for coming to a show that you had no idea what it was going to be. Some of you came in and saw two chairs and a table and went, what? <laughs> this is a conversation about the book. We can talk about whatever we want. We'll get into the book a little bit, and I'll sign the book and personalize it afterwards if you want, and we'll do uh, questions at the end, which means... Some of you are going to not listen to a word of the show. You're going to, if you're like me, rehearse your question. <laughs> just sitting there not listening at all. Just... <laughs> <laughs> pee, pee, 
hello. Uh, but, you know, that's fine. But I want you to enjoy the show. We're going to talk about anything, the meaning of life and all, and dry humping. Let's talk about dry humping. But thank you for being brave and coming to something that you didn't know what it might be. Well, you knew Pete Holmes would be here, and that's pretty cool. Let's give it up for Pete one more time. Oh, Luke. Yeah. Oh, Luke. That's very sweet. Like you, I grew up in a very evangelical environment, uh-huh. and I felt like the topic of dry humping was woefully undercovered in most... And overcovered. Indeed. <laughs> In, in books, and, and one of the things that you point out in the book is, first of all, just f- from a friction standpoint, yeah. the fact that you could catch your genes on fire. Yeah. And also, this isn't in the book, but I was thinking as I was reading that best case scenario, if you're the male in the dry humping scenario, yeah, you, best case scenario. You cream your genes. In your pants. Yeah. You, it's called a waking wet dream. Yes. <laughs> it's, anybody here grow up evangelical? And of that group, any of you dry hump into your late 20s? (laughs) It is the unspoken secret of our world. That's our home base. First base praying together. Second base witnessing to a third friend. Third base, 69. Fourth base, dry hump. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, but we would because we didn't want to have that's the reason the book is called comedy sex god is because sex and god were so linked for me i think probably for everybody that raised their hands I, I meet a lot of people that can relate to this is because they told us there are these sins that we can do that will get us sent to hell which is kind of fucked up because when you're a kid and you just got here so this is like ah! <laughs> you're so susceptible to someone being like there's another place you know what I mean? Just be like, it's just like this, but daddy's on fire. And like, ah! So you believe it. Why wouldn't you believe it? On Halloween, they give you candy for wearing a witch mask. Like, the world is fucking weird. So you'd be like, and when we die, there's two choices. And, and you don't want to do the bad things, right? This is the Santa Claus model of God. And they go like, uh, don't sin. And then you're like, okay, what are the sins? And they're like, well, don't lie. And you're like, okay. And they're like, don't steal. No problem. And they're like, uh, you know that? bubbling feeling you get every day repress that (laughs) and that's a fucking it's the only sin and i'm saying that in quotes obviously that you have a biological urge to do a fresh batch every morning (laughs) so this is sort of fucked up like i never looked at sex as something good or even jerking off as like a fun thing when i was a kid i wasn't just like with abandon doing a shot of tequila putting one foot up on the counter and pointing it straight to hell <laughs> like I wasn't I, just like Aah! like I wasn't you know having a good time I, that's amazing that that's your idea of having a good time yes. <laughs> that sounds so painful I still don't know what regular people were yeah. doing yeah. but that is my guess one barefoot on the cool countertop and pointing your load oh no straight to the dark lord himself you know, we're recording this to also use as part of the Livewire radio show. And I'm. Re- so let me say I'm it again. Re- I'm realizing <laughs> how little of this we're going to be able to use for the Livewire radio show. You can use some of it, just not the part where I say, give Satan a downward facing facial. <laughs> and he loves it because he's the Dark Lord. He's like, Aah! and it cools him, but not a lot. <laughs> just to a temperate 98.5 degrees. Did you? <laughs> 
Get it on the fork. <laughs> Did you? Just getting the pitchfork in there. <laughs> and then the tail comes around and wipes it off. This is what I believe. Satan is real. Uh, anyway, wouldn't you be disappointed if I was like, and that's still what I believe? Well, okay. There, I, I keep. I want to jump into parts of the book, and I guess we can just kind of go in a haphazard yeah, fashion. But there's, you're described sometimes as a Christ-leaning spiritual person. And I knew that you grew up really evangelical with all the stuff that came with that. I knew that you had really re-examined the idea of Christianity and faith, and you had been an atheist for a while. But when I saw... A heratheist. Oh, uh, yeah. Is that... It's just to distinguish. I wasn't like... Some atheists can be a little bit bitter about it. I was very happy about it. <laughs> oh, my God. Because if you think you're going to the downward facial place, if someone tells you when you die, it's over, it's, it's a mitzvah. Horatheist. Like yeah, yeah, horatheist. Or a yatheist. <laughs> it's very similar to your rage. What joke. about a rathiest? A rathiest. That sounds too much like a different word that That's you don't That's when you don't be. believe in the fish that killed Steve Irwin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a rathiest. I don't believe in a big floppy fish with a stinger. <laughs> Guys, we're here to laugh about death. If we can't. We all recoil at that, like, that's going to change anything. If we're doing one thing, it's to laugh at the darkness. When I go home, and my mother's like 76, if I take a shower at my, my parents' house and I come out and I go, Mom! And she doesn't reply right away, I just start looking for a body. <laughs> I know that's dark, but I need to talk about it. And she'll catch me. I'll be in the kitchen like, Mommy! And she comes in like, what? And I'm like, hi! Good to see you, Irina! It's going to happen. So much energy is spent in the denial of death. Let's celebrate it. It's okay. Sometimes you're killed by a big floppy fish. <laughs> and sometimes your son is looking for you. Something that came out of your body later is looking for your corpse. This is what comedy is. Anything less is, a, is an undercutting. Were you super afraid of the rapture? Yes! I, until recently. Yes. I, <laughs> For, for many years of my life, I went to bed every night thinking, this is going to be the rapture. Yeah. And for some reason, the song that triggered me feeling especially bad was the song Simply Irresistible by Robert Plant. <laughs> I can't explain what Wait, because gonna... it was a sexy video? There was just something about the tone of his voice, and that song must have been popular on the radio at about this time in my life, which, yeah. by the way, I wasn't allowed to listen to non-Christian radio, Ooh, but I had a system. NCR? Yeah. <laughs> There's NPR and then there's NC. We weren't even allowed to listen. Non-Christian radio. We weren't allowed to listen to Amy Grant once she went worldly. Ooh, when she went baby, baby. Baby, baby was a, there was a, a red line for our family. She was so close. She could have just been like, baby, baby, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> My mom tells a story about how she loved the George Harrison song, My Sweet Lord, until he says Hare Krishna at the end. Yeah. And then she was like, nope, not acceptable in this house. I'm out. I was with you up until the last two words. Yeah, that's weird. It's like she's never heard any other Beatles song. Yeah. <laughs> But the rapture, to, to what you were saying a little bit earlier, this idea that you're telling kids that the world could end really soon and mm -hmm. in a really violent way, and there was this thing pre-trib and post-trib. Were the Christians, were the good people going to go up to heaven before the tribulation yep. or after the tribulation? Like, yep. were they going to have to go through it? I was rooting hard for before the tribulation myself. Yeah, that's, that's the smart vote. But I just had all of this stuff in my mind, and yes. it's just... 
I, I, no, that's a part in the book. I would keep an eye out. And my brother read this, and he thought it was really sad. I think it's really funny. But for some reason, for all the evangelicals that raise their hand, I don't know why my brother was only two years older than me, but it just didn't get him. Like, he just skipped it. I think, I'm not joking, I think it might have been the weed. I think he was just like, no. Nah. <laughs> he was just in the back not buying it. And I bought it hook, line, and sinker. So he read the parts about me like jerking off to the Sears catalog, the bra section. Not just the toys. It's going to be a Merry Christmas. Uh, Looking at the bra section. I like the nursing bras because they showed how they would... (laughs) Because it looked like they were taking it off. I know it was for a baby, but I was almost a baby. Any who's a woozle... (laughs) For the, the like, pornography or near-pornography movement or move to pull where I grew up was you, somebody's older brother got their hands on, like, an old... A swank. Or a wee. Yeah, always wee. Or a, a, they were always the real hardcore That was ones. really... That There's, was, like, 34 pages of buttholes. <laughs> and you're like, that's how you learn about eroticism. You know what's weird is we can use that on NPR. 34 we, pages that, of buttholes? That's okay for some reason. We. So <laughs> what, somebody would get a dirty magazine and then you, all the like, kids in the neighborhood would start building a fort to yeah. hide the dirty magazine under. Yeah. There would be a trap door. A temple. And, yes. Yeah. To and this day, keep the, it in the Holy of Holies. Yeah. The ass Holy of Holies. <laughs> <laughs> I, if I was in the audience, I'd be like, yeah! <laughs> you guys were like, eh, B minus. And I was like, that's a me, A plus. So ass holy of holies, and the second hole is the vagina. Let's be clear. <laughs> I think, like to this day, a like a mildewy smell on a magazine is a little erotic for yeah. me. Yeah, <laughs> blending with the cologne yeah. strip. Yeah, <laughs> there's always that cologne strip in the middle, so you can be like, <laughs> now I'll get laid. <laughs> but I used to be afraid of the rapture, so I would literally keep an eye to the heavens. I had a joke about it on one of my specials where I was like. I was tempted to masturbate, but I was afraid that Jesus would come back while I was coming back. <laughs> and then we were, I was so obsessed with the rapture. Obviously, you guys probably know this is the idea. Pre, pre-trib would be all the, all the Christians are beamed up. All the saved people are beamed up and their clothes are left behind. So this is true because why would Jesus want your clothes? You're going to heaven. Your clothes can stay. So we, there was a Christian prank show. This is true that did a prank. You've seen it? Where one of, like, you're, you're the Christian we're going to prank, and, and we're your youth group, and when you went to the bathroom in this bowling alley, some of us, not all of us, to keep it realistic, some of us right. left our clothes on the floor and left the building, so when you came out, the hidden cameras would catch you being like, oh, no! Which is, like, the most fucked up prank that's way meaner than anything Steve-O ever did. Right. And when I heard that, I wanted to shoot a sketch. Nobody cares about the rapture. I wanted to shoot a sketch with my sketch team where I was like, okay, so it's me. I'm the Christian that they're going to prank. I go in the bathroom. Everybody drops their clothes and leaves them on the floor. And then I come out. (laughs) This is too fucked up. It's not going to (laughs) work. And then I was like, and then my character, realizing that he's been left behind and he's damned, just goes around and (laughs) steals all the girls' underwear. I thought that would be so funny. All the Christian youth pastors are in their van like, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? And I'm just like... (laughs) This is my heaven. 
You're like that guy in that Twilight Zone episode where yes. all he wants to do is read books. Yes, the broken glasses. All you want to do is sniff panties. Yes. But you fall and injure your nose. Well, that goes back to the idea, like, I didn't enjoy masturbation, right? It was always something shameful. And always, that's why the book is filled with all these shame stories. And again, a lot of the people that grew up religious, and maybe even a lot of you that didn't, there's this, like, especially sex shame. There's, like, body shame. The church figured out that, like, we feel bad about our bodies. Even if you're very woke and never had any religious trauma, like, you probably... some. That's why every, everybody poops is a book. You know what I'm saying? Like, the first time you were conscious, like, not a baby, and you pooped, and you were like, is this just me? That's why... That's a bestseller, is someone had to be like, no, the elephants do it. <laughs> and the deer do it. And the little baby boys do it. And you're like, thank you! That's still a bestseller. So when you get genitalia involved and things are shooting and whatever, (laughs) like it or not, there might be some shame. And I think early on, the church, in a very show-busy way, were like, well, let's, let's sort of hook into that. And that'll create what Richard Rohr calls a codependent relationship between the congregation and the church because you'll have a fresh sin every time because it's baked into your physiology. So you'll keep coming back. I don't even say that to put them down so much as just be like, wow, that's that's kind of creative and it's fucking terrible. (laughs) It's horrible. The idea that by being born, by by showing up on planet Earth, we have already fallen short of the glory of God. Yes, that's it. And that's, that's a, a big point of the book is that, like, this isn't, in my opinion, in, in the study and, and the introspection that I've done, this is not a test. It's not a waiting room for later. I love this quote. I'll try to keep it funny even when we get a little bit deeper or whatever. It's like Alan Watts says, you didn't come into the world. Like, we always say, like, a baby came into the world. But that's kind of flawed thinking. You came out of the world. You know, you're just as lawful as anything. You are the world. You know what I mean? Michael Gunger in his book says, you don't think you're like a tree. You look at a tree and you're like, that's the earth. And I'm not the earth because I'm, he calls it the wireless upgrade. Like our roots aren't literally in the earth, but of course they are. You're bound to the earth. If I put you in space, you're gone. You are a part of the earth and you're a part of everything. And it's lawful. And it's, and your sexuality is of course part of that. And that was a big thing that I wanted to sort of salve and rescue from people is being like, it's not a flaw in the system that you, in fact, it is the system. The system is erotic. I don't mean to get on too much of a terror, but it is erotic. When we say God is love, that love is erotic. It's attracted to itself. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're breathing. Right now, everyone's being filled up. You fucking wind whores. You're like, you're, you're getting filled up and you're breathing it out. And then the trees are like, oh, I'll take that. And then they breathe out and you're like, I'll take that. Ah. And, like, there's such a fucking weird thing in this country that, like, we're so disconnected from reality and from the earth that, especially in this country, we love fucking things and we love things that fuck things, but we don't like things that get fucked. A lot of homophobia and a lot of misogyny is from this. And it's in our language. Fuck you. Cocksuckers are bad things. We don't like things that take things in. But everybody takes things in. The straightest man in America can be like, that's a natural man on a man's fuck. I never let anybody fuck me. And then he eats a steak and he goes, no, yeah. And he chews it and he goes, it's so good. It's 
it's so delicious. It's lighting up my pleasure center. Oh, my pleasure center. And then he swallows it, and it becomes part of him, and he walks around with it for four to six hours and then shits it out in a hard reverse anal that kind of feels amazing. And he's like, And then this is the same fucking asshole that's like, those queers are fucked. You're fucked, you asshole. We're all fucked. We're all fucking and being fucked. (laughs) That's what it is. So when you get in touch with the idea that God, and God, by God, I just mean this, by the way. We're not talking about something somewhere else, sometime else. We're just talking about reality. The phenomenon of beingness. Where am I Jews? Sometimes this gets very Christian skewing. Any Jews or raised Jewish? Wow, Portland. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's in, it's in our, uh, the Christian Bible as well. Is when Moses asks God what his name is, God says, I am. He says, I am that I am, right? When I was a kid, I thought God was being cheeky. Like, like a gangster. He was like, what's my name? I don't worry about it. My name is my name, is my name okay? No more questions. I'm a burning bush. Deal with it, you know? But he's not. Yahweh was just our first understanding of the concept of being. God is being. God is consciousness. And this sounds new age. It's as old age as it gets. It's in the fucking Old Testament. It's the old one. And, and it predates that. It's just, it's just when this conscious thing thought of the idea of consciousness and, and personalized it and made it into an image so we, that we could talk about it and think about it. But God was just like, I am the quality of I amness. And that's what I'm talking about when I say God. So we could also just say the mystery or we could say this. This. But we often say God is love, right? But that is an erotic love. Like I'm saying, it's, a, it's, it's called the Big Bang, for fuck's sake. You know what I'm saying? This is like, this is the cum shot. I'm sorry, this is. You are a divine or cosmic cum shot, and you are not a stranger here. You are not, it's not, you're not under the microscope. Let's see what the cum shot does. It's not like that. You are a lawful, unfolding, and a divine and inherently worthy expression of all that is. And when you start seeing the world that way, you stop feeling like such a stranger. And regardless of your religious beliefs, I think we can all relate to the feeling of waking up in this every day, not just when you were born, but just opening your eyes and being like, what? (laughs) Then we all go around just talking about our pants? Where'd you get those pants? But some of us are like, no, what? What? This is fucking crazy. And Ramdas says it's like, so. Will you explain who Ramdas is for folks that don't know? Ramdas, he was a professor at Harvard, and then they started taking a lot of uh, LSD. <laughs> and this was in the 60s before you know, people really knew what LSD was. It was new in the West. It was new in general. It had just been invented pretty much, which is another story. That's a great story. But anyway, uh, he took it. They started exploring it. And then him and Timothy Leary, you know Timothy Leary. Timothy Leary went like the iconoclastic route and Ramdas went the Eastern spiritual route because he wanted to figure out how you could get to those places without psychedelics. Because if you've taken psychedelics, and I hope you have, and if you haven't, it's okay. But if you have, it's, it can be. Sometimes it's just clowns slapping you and people... <laughs> People come up to me all the time, and they're like, I took uh, psychedelics because you told me to, and it was just clowns in a rotating windmill slap for four hours. And they're like, where's the spirituality in that? And I'm like, I I get it. 
it's not really what you see. It's that you're seeing with something. Does that make sense? Yeah. It doesn't matter. It could be clowns. It could be Yosemite Sam. It could be completely non-spiritual. You're just recognizing how the equipment works because it goes, oh, you think this is reality? Well, what do you think of this? And you're like, i got to rethink this. And that's a really important thing that happened. So Ramdas says, who we are is consciousness, right? This is called the true self in some of the mystical traditions. You, your true self is what my baby is. My baby is eight months old. She just is isness. She's just one with being. She doesn't have a story yet. She doesn't know that she's a baby. She's extremely present. That's right. She just is presence. She's never not been in the moment because she doesn't have an agenda like we all do. We go around, I wear this shirt, I wear yellow. I'm a happy guy. <laughs> do you see me? And Ramdas says we go around reassuring each other that our costumes are on straight. That's all we do. We just go like, I'll make believe who you think you are if you make believe I am who I think I am. So you go, I'm a laid back guy. Will you reaffirm that? And you're like, yeah, you got those fucking Tevas on, man. You are laid back. And you're like, yeah, weed, not whiskey. And you're like, got it, Tyler. (laughs) And then you go to a Tool concert, and it's great. But that's not who you really are. What we're saying is the closer you can get to just pure I am-ness, the closer you are to the mystery or whatever. And it's not about thinking. It's not about believing. Obviously, one of the main reasons I wanted to write this book and do these talks with you guys is because it's all, it's not about belonging to a group and it's not about being certain, but the ego has gotten a hold of religion. And when the ego gets a hold of religion, all it turns it into is basically a sports team. It's like, it's us and them. We're right and you're wrong. And whatever your group is, that's always the group that's going to heaven. Have you noticed that? Yeah. And it seems like, a weird. I, I remember at some point when I got a little older thinking, what are the chances that these 80 people in Seattle, Washington are the 80 people that have this figured out in the whole history of time? That's right. And then you start getting into some more, you know, I don't know what to say because I don't want to make it sound like better or worse, but some people that speak more directly to my heart that are like, real spirituality didn't start with Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Like, God had nothing to say for 14.6 billion years. And then Jesus came, and then we're like, begin. Like that, (laughs) it's a fucking ego trip. And I say this, I was on this trip. So if you're still on that trip, I'm not saying this with judgment. I'm saying it's it's really narcissistic. (laughs) It's really narcissistic to believe. And again, I say this with a heavy heart because I believed it. So I'm not saying you're stupid if people listening to this or anybody here believes this, but it is. It's narcissism. It's been repackaged as spirituality to believe that the religion that you were born into geographically and parentally just happens to be the only true way. And every Hindu, atheist, Muslim, Jew is going to burn forever. That's why I became a atheist for a brief time, because that's a way more compassionate choice. If on one hand you have everyone that died in the Holocaust also went to a second eternal Holocaust, or life's fucked and it's just synapses and, and meat puppets... The second choice is far more compassionate and logical, so you go with that. That's a more open-hearted person than to have to go around carrying the nightmare that I did. I would perform for you guys 10, well, this would have been 20 years ago. 
if I came into this club, I would perform for you and silently think that 99% of you are going to hell. That's a fucked up thing for me. That's why I like the guys with the bullhorns that you see sometimes in big cities. They're like, repent, repent, repent. And I'm like, yes, be as crazy as your beliefs so we can identify you. I want to know who you are. Don't be like me. Don't be some fucking weird doctor that's like, you have a week to live, but it doesn't end there. And like, you keep that to yourself. Right, because honestly, the guy with the bullhorn is making the rational choice. If you truly if you think believe a train is that coming. everybody who you're talking to is going to suffer eternally, you should be doing nothing else day or night that's other right. than trying to witness to them. So when I was a kid and I believed that, what grown-ups had told me, because they had khakis and keys... <laughs> They had khakis and keys and facial hair and money. And I was like, ooh, he must know the secrets of the universe. Why wouldn't I believe him? I say in the book, these are the same people that told me not to swallow hot peppers or not to like, all the, all the good things, like how to be alive in the world. And then they're like, also this. Why wouldn't you believe them? But the thing is, is the more, after my, we covered briefly that my wife left, I, I lost my faith and all this stuff. I started, I lost my train of thought. What were we talking about? Yeah, I know. That's what made me lose my train of thought. Uh, it doesn't, doesn't really matter. You weren't listening. I was absolutely listening. <laughs> oh, what I'm saying is I the grown-ups... where it was going to go. Khakis and keys. Agree. Why wouldn't you listen to them? Yeah. The more after I lost my faith, I had more time to be quiet, right? It's one of my favorite Bible verses. We, we'll try not to be too bible but it's like, be still and know that I'm God, right? That's contemplation. That's meditation. That's what I'm saying. If God is I am-ness, you're a piece of that. You're a piece of the mystery. That's why a comedian wanted to write a book about God, because I want to be like, you don't have to have a funny hat to trust your own intuition. Even if all these bullies and weird, loud white people told you this fucked up stuff. It's okay to sit with it quietly because you're a part of it. You know what I mean? That's your pass in. You're it. You're the thing you're studying. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think if I, if I understand what you're saying in part of the book correctly, it's like your journey was as a young person, uh, you were doing everything you could to serve Jesus because you wanted to do the right thing. Then you kind of lost your faith and you became a heratheist. And it was like, Jesus doesn't have any role to play in my life. And then you had this big breakthrough where you kind of realized you're like teammates. You're playing in the same game. Right. And it's not a question of Jesus being in charge of you or Jesus not existing. But there's another, there's a different way to relate to That's the right. idea of God. That he's, that he's modeling the way that energy works in the world. Right, So we spend so much time worshiping Jesus instead of imitating him. But you can imitate any of the symbol systems that you want. It, it, we really start to lose the narrative if we start talking about the historical truth of Jesus or if he literally did this or literally did that. It's, it's a story to move you into a place where you can do it to your fucking self. That's what you have to do. That's what we're saying. So if I'm saying you, there's your false self, right, which is Steve or Andy or Diane, it's the thing that you go around selling. It's your preferences. It's your likes. It's your clothes. It's your city. It's your sports team. It's your country. It's all just a story. You know this from psychology. It's, just a, it's, a, it's a mental construct, but it's not who you really are. So what you need to do, that needs to die. 
And then you resurrect to your own Christ, Christ being the word, another word for what is, and your union with what is. Here's why, though. I don't care if you believe with how I articulate it. If you're like, this is exactly right. I'm going to hold on to this because I want to say this to other people, or it's, I want to say it to, again to myself later when I forget. I'm glad, but that's not my point. I'm not trying to make anybody into a clone of me so we can be the right team. That's more ego shit. I'm saying when you start to identify in your inherent place with what is, your at-homeness, that's what holy means, wholeness. You're, you're here. You belong. And identifying with your real self, that's where the anxiety goes away. That's where the fear goes away. Anxiety and fear, or peace, let's say the opposite. Peace can't exist in the ego at all. Maybe for five seconds. Maybe the first bite of ice cream and you go like, everything's great. <laughs> and this is straight Ramdas. You finish the ice cream and you want a glass of water. This is what it's like being in one of these fucking embarrassing systems. You eat the ice cream, you feel a brief moment of contentment, that's just how the brain works. The brain is trying to train your animal, and it says, like, good, you're eating something high-calorie, high-fat. That's good. It'll keep us alive. Eat more of that. So it gives you a little dopamine, right? And this is how we live our lives, is chasing happiness, when really bliss exists in detaching from the story of the guy that wants the water, and then he drinks the water, then he has to go to the bathroom, then he's bored, then he watches TV, and it's 2019, so he watches nine hours of TV, <laughs> And then he's tired, so he go, now he has to go to sleep. But then he has to get up, and then he's groggy, so he has coffee. Then he takes a coffee shit. Then he has to wipe. <laughs> then he's wiping for too long, so he has to take a shower. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> happiness, circumstantial happiness, is fucking bullshit. Give up. Give up. Can I ask if you? If you're not happy on the plane to your vacation... The beach isn't going to save you, dumbass. It's not going to save you. The way you are on the plane is how you're going to be on the beach. And the way I am right now is how I'll be when I'm dying. When I'm dying, I don't want to be like, I sure was on TV a lot. <laughs> you think that's going to give you any comfort when your air starts getting thin? I don't mean to be too morbid. Do you really think that's it? Or do you think you're going to wake up to who you really are and realize that none of this is going anywhere? If you want to get real Buddhist with it, nothing's happening and there's nowhere to go. That's fuck. That's peace. So it's, it's learning how to detach from the story. That's where I found. So I don't want you to agree with me. I want you to be free. I want people to be free from this bullshit. But then how do you also remain in life as Pete Holmes has a, had a TV show on HBO. What if I was raptured right now? <laughs> you just pick up my underwear. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's been traveling. <laughs> because I hear everything that you're saying really resonates with me, and you're describing a way of being that is so much less stressful yeah. than the way that most of us, myself included, are actually operating on a daily basis. And it just sounds like, yes, we should all do that. But then... You're somebody who I think is seeking to do that, but you're also very much engaged in the real world. Yeah. I lose, I lose it all the time. Absolutely. And that's super important to say. I'm not fully there. All you can do is increase your percentage of how often you're in the moment, basically, that you're owning the bliss of being, not the bliss that the, the stewardess gave you your, your peanuts or whatever, and now you're happy, but just the bliss that you're on a 
on a plane. And I don't mean thinking about bliss, how lucky I am to be on an airplane. You know the percentage of people that got to fly? That is exhausting. (laughs) It is exhausting to try to live in wonder and be like, water, these molecules are wet. Whoa. (laughs) Fuck that shit. I'm talking about unlearning stuff. I'm talking about getting... So to answer your point, though, to to answer your question, is like, of course I, I lose it all the time. And then it's all the game of coming back. It's the same as meditating. People don't want to meditate because they're bad at it. I'll let you in on something. Everyone's bad at it. That's what it's about. It's not thinking nothing. It's when you think something, having enough compassion for yourself to not get worked up and just go back. That's Sharon Salzberg. It's all in the going back. So I've been on three planes in three days and three cities in three days. Yeah, there have been moments where I'm grumpy. And you use the grumpiness instead of resisting it. And this is Buddhism again. Instead of resisting it and being mad at yourself, use it as an alarm clock. Oh, shit. I just, I forgot for a second. And that's this. This is life. Remembering, forgetting. And one of the reasons I like talking about this with you guys isn't because I have the answers and I'm here to give you the answers. It's because in talking about it together, I remember I'm talking to myself with you. And the reason to do it live, I know people can listen to this on the radio or whatever. Not very much of it so far. <laughs> laser. I haven't said laser in years, but nobody's been laser. That was just laser, man. That was awesome. I'm sorry, you were saying no, that people are going to hear this on the buddy, radio. Buddy, there's nothing better than a laugh. That's what I'm talking about. That's something that only exists in the moment. It's like music. And that's why we do it live. And that's why we talk about it live. I've said these things before, but when we talk about them together, and this isn't as woo-woo as it sounds, you can feel it. We're group, we're pack animals. A group of people being in the, in the moment together, fuck, that's heaven. That's it. Not resisting? Because that's what I'm saying. When Richard Roy says how you do anything is how you do everything, that's, that's a deep teaching. How you do this show is how you do everything. If you're like, well, I thought maybe it would be funnier, or whatever. <laughs> Say, wanting this to be that is what suffering is. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you're, like, so I've been flying a lot, so I have all these flying examples. I, I see that there's like a delayed flight. You know, there's like a 20, 30, 45-minute delay. And you see that the suffering doesn't really come from the delay. The suffering comes from the story you tell yourself about the delay, right? We know this, but we just have to practice it and be compassionate with yourself. It's not going to happen the first time your flight is delayed, but maybe the 50th time you'll get to a little bit more equanimity, right? But you, you can watch it. And it starts to become like the best TV show in the world, just kind of the, the smile of the Buddha, just kind of like watching <laughs> people freak out. And they're going like, Delta, Delta always does this. Yeah. <laughs> I pay, I am a medallion member with Delta and Dolly. And I'm like, what the fuck is Delta? Delta, listen to me. Delta is not a thing. That's what we should be talking about in dorm rooms, smoking pot. Like, you believe in Delta? Delta is an idea. It's a delayed flight. It's a mechanical error. It's a, it's a deflated front tire that you're going to want them to fill up. Don't. Don't want this to be that. Delta is just a story created to assist you in suffering because you're like, it should be the Delta way. You know what I mean? Or I, medallion status, that's also nothing. 
This is why we love post-apocalyptic movies. It's like, tell me about your medallion status now. You know what I mean? Yeah. You just ate your cousin. Tell me what priority group do you board? Well, my cousin was only a silver level. <laughs> That's so how they, we knew they, to eat him. They fed them to the platinum of level. Of course. Members. Of course, with the little knife and fork that you get on an airplane. You know what I think is so interesting about uh, hearing you talk about this to this group and to the various people that you've talked about this with is that you write in the book about how witnessing was a big part of your life when you were in a more like kind of Judeo-Christian yeah. traditional model. Do you guys like, know what witnessing is? Telling people about it's Jesus. It's your worst nightmare. <laughs> it's when you're on a long car ride and, and the guy driving goes... <laughs> <laughs> Can I tell you about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? And for the briefest of most rational moments in your life, you decide maybe you should roll. <laughs> you should tuck and roll out of the car and take your chances. Well, you did a lot of that while you were growing up and in your teenage years and stuff because, you know, that's what you're uh, told to do as part of that particular Christian movement. And yet here you are, it's many years later, I think you're still witnessing, but you're just, you have a totally different message or a more inclusive message. Right. Well, the, the hard thing is, is that when you're told the story that everybody you know is going to hell, that's not good news. When you tell somebody, that's the worst news in the world. Become like me or go to hell is the worst news in the world. And it's a grotesque misreading of the gospel as far as I'm concerned. So when actual good news shows up, when I love, I was just in San Francisco and people are standing up and telling me about how ostracized and outside they are. That's a beautiful thing to mean it. When you say, like, you are welcome here, you're not a visitor or a stranger here, you belong here, that's ministering to somebody, but I mean it. Because this is the thing, for some reason, I had to hear this a thousand times before I believed it, but St. Francis said, he's a Franciscan, obviously, (laughs) although he didn't know it, (laughs) he just thought he was Frank. (laughs) So old Frankie said, what you're looking for is what you're looking with right? So what you're looking, you're, we're looking for a miracle. We're looking for God. We're looking for truth. It's what's coming out of your eyes right now. It's what's looking out your eyes. It's how you're hearing me. It's like the stand-up joke I have where I'm like, let's, let's sing simp- Simply uh, Irresistible. What was it? Oh, yeah. Simply Irresistible? Sure. Sing it in your head. Let's all do it. It'll be a happening. Ready? You know how it goes? Simply Irresistible. You don't need to know the words. Just kind of do your own version. Ready? Everybody do it together. Whoa. <laughs> That's the part of the song I was on. I'm sorry. I'm, I was there too. <laughs> the question I asked in my stand was, how are you hearing that? That's the phenomenon of consciousness, and that's what you're looking for. So when we're looking for God, you don't realize you're using God to look for God, which sounds very new agey, but we're back to Moses and I am. My name is I am. You are too, and you're looking for it. So this is when Eckhart Tolle tells stories about, like, he says that we're like beggars. We're sitting on the street corner asking for change, sitting on a box. Someone says, what's in the box? You say, I've never looked, even though you've been sitting on it for your whole life. You look in the box, and it's filled with gold. Okay, that's a great story. It's, like, kind of cute. It's like, okay, fine. What does it mean? It means it's already here. You're already complete. You're already it. This is very Eastern, but it's, it's the same thing that Jesus is saying, saying the kingdom of heaven is here, but men don't see it. He says it's in you. 
He says, I am in you. There's, a, there's some gospels where he's more clear about it that they took out, but they were in there. <laughs> and, and there's some, uh, there's a lot of stuff in there that, that is also pointing this direction as well. So for some reason, it sucks that when I say this is the miracle, that you're using a miracle to look for a miracle. Right? When I say life is a miracle, it's bull- it sounds like bullshit. It sounds like something Rachel Ray would say while tossing a salad. <laughs> You know what I mean? It's been ruined. Everything's been ruined. The deepest truth, it's right in front of our face, but it's been ruined to sell salad, to be like, this is the miracle. And it is. It's here and now. And the answer isn't somewhere else. It's learning to be quiet enough to feel it and to disappear into it. And the, funny, the most fun thing about it for me is that science and, and mysticism are after the same thing. Science would say that all of this at one point was a single point of mass called the singularity, and that erupted into the Big Bang, and that's what this is. So they're trying to photograph that and prove it, and I'm very grateful for that. And the mystic is trying to feel it. We're trying to disappear into it. I want Pete out of the way. I want to be stirred into the cosmos like a, a spoonful of sugar and disappear because it's so tiring to be this. You know what I mean? And to brush your teeth a fucking gen. <laughs> and I know you know what I'm feeling. This is why there's so many goddamn superhero movies. We can't stand it. It's too much. So we don't think about it. And religion's been turned into being gay is evil and being any other faith is evil. It's embarrassing to be religious. That's why I'm trying to say, okay, great. But what, what should be rescued? Not for your afterlife, for your life. This is eternity. You're in infinity right now. The moment has no time. It's a, a rock going around another rock. And that's how we celebrate birthdays. It's, a, it's, a, it's an idea. <laughs> It's just an idea. You're here now. Just do it. Just be enlightened for 30 seconds. Just do it. All you have to do is stop thinking just for 30 seconds. And this is what, one of the best parts of the book for me and the most useful part of the book is that how do we stop thinking? Obviously, we have to have compassion for ourselves. When we are thinking, we can't be like, oh, fuck, I'm not good at it. it you, have to, you have to be compassionate to yourself. But the mantra that I use most often is just, yes, thank you, right? Because I used to go to the museum to think about art. And you see this. We want to find the name brands. Oh, there's the Picassos. There's the good ones. The ones people will ask me if I saw. I'm going to buy magnetic representations of these (laughs) to prove that I wasted my day here. (laughs) And you stare at it and you go, oh, yeah. But you're just fucking thinking about it. You're just going like, it's a bit, Mona Lisa's smaller than I thought it would be. (laughs) Well, it's old. It's not colorful. It is colorful. It's the same thing. We go to a botanical garden or or go for a walk in the park. People are just going, the tree's pretty fucking big. (laughs) We're stuck in duality. It's just binary thinking. Big, small, good tree, dying tree, big tree, little tree, flowers, (laughs) better flowers. It's just the same shit. It's just ice cream all over again. Maybe the answer is in the next painting. Maybe the answer, maybe that good at-home feeling that we're all dying for this to get rid of this homesickness that we feel maybe it's in the next flower that's what the ego will say the ego given the choice between the journey and the destination will always choose the journey because it burns up at the destination you realize it's fucking nonsense at the destination it wants to preserve itself so it keeps telling you it's in the next part the next part of the or the party the the vip room that's i've been in vip rooms guys it's just different drunk people (laughs) 
It's not somewhere else. It's here. So how do we stop thinking? How do we be enlightened for 30 seconds? It's not as special. It's not as difficult as, it, as it's made out to be. You can do it just for maybe not your whole life, but you can do it in, you just say, yes, thank you. Look at a flower, sit on your porch. This is Portland. Feed your chickens. <laughs> Get in your outback. <laughs> and don't resist. Whatever it is, you can get more out of one flower than an entire botanical garden walk through with your mind if you can let it into your heart. So instead of trying not to think, give your brain something to think. It's like uh, Elizabeth Gilbert says in her book, it's like giving a monkey buttons to count, like buttons from a coat, just like sorting buttons. But it's even better than that because it has an inherent yes to it because that's what love is. Love is yes. People don't really, we say love. It's another Rachel Ray salad word. It means yes. When fans say to me, I love you, I say, I love you too. What does that mean? I don't know you. What does that mean? Sometimes people call me on it. It's weird. They love me, but they call me on it. And I go, I'm not saying I love fucking Steve. Steve is on fire. Steve is fake. I love you. And better, I yes you. That's what it is. I allow you. It's what I tell my daughter. I say, I'm here to help. That's why I won't put her in a Red Sox onesie. I'm not telling, I'm not telling her what to be. She doesn't have to be a mystic. She can be whatever the fuck she wants because I yes her. I yes her so hard. Mm. And that's what it is. So Jesus said, love your, love your uh, neighbor, right? And that's the golden rule. In church, though, we didn't know what to do with that because some people at church are fucking bitches. They're terrible people. Some, <laughs> there's assholes and there's bitches and there's fucking horrible people at church. They went there because it's the only people that would pretend to like them. <laughs> And I have compassion for them. And what we would do, though, is would be phony. So some woman named Kathy, who's just the worst, (laughs) would go home and because Jesus told us to love our neighbors, would try and think of reasons why we loved Kathy. It was fake. We hated Kathy. (laughs) Fucking Kathy. (laughs) But it would be like, yeah, she's a bit much, but uh, great vocabulary. (laughs) So I love Kathy. That's nonsense. Jesus didn't say, like your neighbor. He didn't say, like your neighbor. As, as Richard Rohr says, in the New Testament, there's, the word nice is not in the New Testament. It became about being nice. It's not about that. It's not pretending to like somebody. It's not thinking about a painting. It's not thinking about love. It's saying yes to something that's in the same conundrum that I woke up in. I woke up here confused and frightened. I'm going around and I'm like, and I die one day. We don't know what we're doing. You can say yes to their consciousness, to their isness, and you can love that and say, I don't want to go to your one woman show, Kathy. (laughs) Because I don't like, you don't have to tell her, but it's okay. Nobody's calling you to be phony, but church has been turned into like, hi, buddy. You know what I mean? And then we get in our cars and we're like, motherfucker, you know, like we hate them. It's the opposite of phoniness. But here's the thing. My main problem with religion is the niceness, the ethical behavior, nothing wrong with it. It's beautiful to be nice. But what it's supposed to be a reflection of an inner transformation. You're supposed to wake up to who you are, get in touch with the sharedness, the oneness that we're all in. This, not separate, one thing. Then when you realize that, you, you are nice because the transformation has occurred. But we're so productive and we're such achievers in the West that we realized very smartly that we can just act like it's happened. So we can go around and say freck instead of fuck and you're in the club. 
or not have sex and dry hump and you're in the club. What the fuck is happening? How do we take the best thing, symbol systems and music and tradition that can get you into that yes, thank you, quiet place where you are one with everything and we turned it into polity? We turned it into, I don't see R-rated movies. Fuck off. <laughs> that's not, that's the good news? That's, yeah, I don't, I don't know about that, those Avengers. What? <laughs> Let me ask about something you mentioned. <laughs> I thought I lost you. <laughs> you, you. You said that you would like to just be stirred into the everythingness like a, like a, a teaspoon of sugar. sugar. Yeah. What's the line between that happening and you just not existing? Well, you do stop existing, and that's a tricky thing. And that's why we resist this. That's why so few will do it. It's very, I'm actually, it's fun that we're having fun and we're talking about this and we're laughing. And also at the same time, I'm selling like sort of the last thing your false self wants, which is death. I'm selling death. (laughs) But that's spirituality too, is die before you die. The whole thing, it's not a test, but there's a thing in Taoism, he who finds his way in the morning can gladly go in the evening because you realize who you are. And you start to look at death more like, the Chinese say death is like the air in a vase breaking and just rejoining the air outside the vase. Or it's like a drop of water going back into the ocean. When you realize oneness, it's not just like a fun thought experiment. It actually reduces a lot of stress that we have about this clinging to life, which again, straight Buddhism, the more we're clinging and attached to life and to our false self, the more we suffer and the more we fear it going away. So there is a great freedom in realizing that nothing's happening and that nothing's really here. And there's something in us, we call it the ego, that's like, fuck that. I'm going to make a new flag and I'm going to put it on the top of a mountain and I'm going to get a trophy. That's why it was important for me to write about crashing. There's this great Jim Carrey quote, which is, smoking. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Let me just, since this, there's a possibility this will be a radio show, let me mention Crashing is, was your really great show on HBO. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> Thank you. And it was a dream. I was just watching this annoying YouTube video where it was, it's one of those things where it's like, live your best life. And they were like, get a job you love. And, and I was like, that to me isn't real freedom. Because I've, I've had the best job you can get, having your own HBO show with Judd Apatow and getting to make it and act in it and all this stuff. I mean, it, it pretty much my ego couldn't have thought of a better bell to ring. And I rang it. And I, I write about it in the book. In the second season, I was really, really numb. I was super, super numb. So this is what I'm telling you is like the story is a lie. I know I, because I'm, you're probably like me. I'm like, I'd rather find out for myself. Thank you very much. <laughs> Good. Go for it. That's the Jim Carrey quote. He says, I wish everybody could have their dreams come true so they could see that it's not the answer. We don't want to give that up because we don't want to stop playing the game. I'm saying you don't have to stop playing the game. I'm still trying to achieve. It's fun. You know, Indiana Jones could realize that the the statue in the temple is beautiful just in the temple. But it's also really fun to steal it and run from the boulder (laughs) and get on the plane. That's where the the juice of life, the excitement of life is. That's fine. Play it. Just have a part of you that's a little bit detached from it and smiling and knowing that it's not who you really are. That it's just a dance. 
It's just a game. And, and we can be compassionate. We can protest. We can defend. We can speak up. We can fight injustice. We can work for each other. We can, all of that stuff is very real. I understand. And, and there's another subsystem happening that, that isn't as connected to, to the drama of our lives. Did I, were you the one that said this, maybe on Conan O'Brien's podcast, about the idea that sometimes to help someone, if they were standing like on a train track, you would have to push them? To save them from a bad thing happening, but oh. it was to the question of like. Oh, that's if, interesting. If, you mean not into the train? You no. mean it like yeah? <laughs> Unless yeah. it's Kathy. Yeah, Kathy, hundred percent into the train. Kathy's got to go. But this idea that sometimes you have to do something with people that feels un namaste. Yeah, but it's what needs to happen for them, or I guess what needs to happen for you, because you you were kind of just alluding to this, but I think there's this thought that. The idea that you're describing means that it, you have to be okay with everything that happens and that people yeah. can trample all over you and well, you're that, not allowed to have opinions. See, okay, so we're talking about the universe sort of pushing me or my circumstance pushing me. So there I was at what I thought was the top of the mountain and I was very depressed. I was really in a bad way. And just numb. It wasn't really dumb, down in the dumps, but the word I use in the book is a, a malaise. I just I didn't feel anything. And that was a really scary thing when you're shooting a scene with Bill Burr and he literally goes, if you're not happy now, you'll never be happy because he thought I was happy. He went, dun, 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 dun. And then he said that. <laughs> so that's an uncanny impression. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> He's my favorite comedian, so it's in love. The new special. Dun, dun, dun. Um. So we're on the golf cart with Bill Burr. So what we're talking about, what we're, I think what we're talking about, and this is one of my least favorite things to, that people say is that everything happens for a reason. But when people say everything happens for a reason, most of us, especially when we're going through something, we just know that that's fucking nonsense and we hate it, right? <laughs> and I agree with you. From the story level, from the ego level, my dad, for example, would say everything happens for a reason because my wife left me, but then I got an HBO show out of it. So I'd be like, who's laughing now, Peter? You know, like, you showed her. You went right to the top. And now you're the king. And I'm like, okay, everything happens for a reason. I knew God had a plan, Peter. It's fucking nonsense. I could have been hit by a bus the day after my wife left me. Where's your reason now? And that often happens. And even if your life does go swimmingly, at the end, you die. What's that? What's that? Just at the end? Uh, At the end! That whole everything happens for a reason thing kind of goes out the window. You know, we always mean it from an ego level. We mean you got hit by a car, you broke your leg, you lost your job, but... That's when you got that new job that didn't mind that you had a broken leg, and that's where you met Kathy, the bitch. (laughs) But you love Kathy because you love a firecracker. (laughs) And that's what we mean when we say everything happens for a reason. What I'm saying, what I'm suggesting, and I'm not making it up, it feels right in my heart, and and it's in a lot of, it's in Hinduism, it's in Buddhism, it's the idea that who you really are, the true self, we could call it pure consciousness, call it your soul, call it your Atman, just what's looking at your eyes right now. There's another game going on with that. So circumstances of your life, of your storyline, are sort of shaking you to wake you up, to get you to let go and go like, oh, right. That was all, it was all on fire anyway. And I'm already free. And I'm already enough. So that's how I see suffering now. Did you reach that point with your, with your TV show? I mean, did something change for you? that allowed you to not have the malaise? Well, what it, the, I think the reason I had the malaise was because I had tasted this spiritual stuff 
or whatever you want to call it, soul identification. And then I got lazy and I just assumed it would just stay there. Like I've had it. I got a little taste of enlightenment and now I'll do nothing to maintain it. Not to mention that you're getting pretty famous. You're presumably getting paid a lot of money. There's a lot of things that are not related to the being enlightened thing that are now taking up your attention. That's exactly right. And you start to believe that. So I write in the book, I started going to more two entree dinners. This is what rich people are doing, by the way, is if you're like, should I get this? Why is it my dad? Should I get this or should I get this? I'll just get both. That's like, and that is the saddest thing in the world to me. There's a Chinese proverb where they're like, have, uh, hell is a long table and everybody has these long chop, chopsticks like pool cues and they're trying to feed themselves and they're all starving to death because they can't get the pool cues to their mouth. So it's this horrible, emaciated room of suffering people. And then right next door is heaven and it's the exact same situation but they're feeding each other. I know, right? <laughs> I had that same reaction internally. If that doesn't give you the, the chills, what are you, the T-1000? Get out of here. <laughs> so I started to believe that more money, more alcohol, more food, desserts for the table, all of that stuff would make me... Because it's not really my fault. It's the story that all of us have been sold, that that's the best thing that can happen. But the best thing that's happened is already happening. You know, it, it's, it's our mind that's robbing us from it, that equanimity that is your birthright, that is right here and now. How you do this is how you do it. So we can do it right now. I love just reminding us that because I'm reminding myself. We can do it right now. It doesn't matter how many desserts or how many producers are at the table or whatever. It's not about that. So I needed to... Because I had had that sort of taste of mindfulness and meditation or whatever, and then I stopped doing it and started believing my false self really hard, it was worse because I was homesick for what I just had. So having, once you're in there, you know, nothing else is going to really do. And that's what I don't, I don't hear a lot of like, vitality and juice and sex and life being sold when it comes to spirituality. I just hear like, you should do it. It'll make you a good person, make you fit in. It'll pay out when you die. I'm like, no, it's, it's tapping into the source. It's where the good stuff is. It'll get you high. It'll get you high and not because things are going your way. And yes, I'll have the creme brulee and the tiramisu. Then what? Diarrhea? You know what I mean? Like, Presumably. Get, like, opt out. Die before you die. And then, and then, and then enjoy heaven now. I'll give you a very uh, obvious and less nuanced or elegant example of this than all the stuff you've been saying, which has been really kind of blowing my mind, honestly. <laughs> I, because I travel a lot for work, too, have weaseled my way into whatever airline status you need to be at where you get to be in first class a lot. Medallion? We're going to eat you second. (laughs) (laughs) And what I have have found is that it started with, I just was like, I would love to get to fly in first class sometime. It just seems like there's a lot more leg room. They're bringing you food. It just seems nice. And then it started happening. And then I started to decide that I had a favorite seat in first class. Yeah. And I was on a flight not that long ago where I got what I thought was the crummy seat in first class. Yeah. And I was mad the whole flight. It felt unfair to me. Yeah. And what I thought in the moment was... Bulkhead aisle? I go 1F. <laughs> I think that this is, the left side of my face is the good side. So 1F puts the bad side of my face against the window. 
Wow. And it's the bulkhead. You can go to the bathroom and come back without the person having to get up next to you. Oh, that's your favorite seat. My favorite seat. I was guessing that the worst seat is bulkhead window. No, no. I, think I mean aisle. I think it's I, – I like being up front. But, but this is what I realized later on looking back on it. For me, what I need to do is get to the place where if I am middle seat, that's right. back of the plane, literally pressed up against the bathroom, if I can get to the point where I'm feeling joy in that moment, yes. then – they, the airline has nothing on me. That's right. So I got to stop trying to work my way towards 1F and start working my way towards 33 That's right. G. And that's what suffering is. Suffering is a, is a dry run. So yes, thank you is a confusing mantra for some people. And it gets even weirder when I say when you're suffering and the airline fucks up and they put you in the middle seat back row that doesn't even recline and it's right by the shitter. <laughs> to say yes, thank you to that too. Because it's happening. It's happening. So I worked for, on this book for three years, and then they printed the wrong galley. The galley is what gets sent out to the press for them to review it. And they sent, like, the first draft instead of, like, the 15th draft. Oh. And I'm like, I, 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 this is my first book, so I didn't know that no one would review it. But listen, <laughs> in my mind, I thought that, like, the New York Times was getting, like, a bad book, like a bad version of the book. And I just started feeling real dread, like real panic and anger. A lot of these like uglier emotions, harder for me to express. So I just got very quiet and sweet Val is there and she knows something's wrong. And I I went into the bedroom to be alone because I I was raised to be such a sweet boy that I just don't know what to do sometimes when I'm angry. Sometimes with Valerie, I just, this is a fun relationship tip or if you're like me tip, I just go like, I'm just being angry for fun. And then I'll be angry. (laughs) <laughs> just to let them know that you're still there. Like, I'm here. I'm just going to be angry for a second. Motherfucker! You know, like, da, 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 you know, and go burr. <laughs> so I was feeling all this anger and this pain, and it wouldn't go anywhere. And there was nothing I could do. They were sent out. And I had to remember, I wrote it. And I had to remember, and I said, yes, thank you, to that feeling. Wow. I was the universe... Being the first-time author, feeling deep pain and frustration. And whether or not you believe that you're the universe doing this or that, it doesn't matter. What's psychologically very confusing in that moment to your brain is if you say thank you to suffering, it just, it's still there. It's like a hot coal, but you're not holding it anymore. It's just sort of levitating in the middle, like a science experiment like a magnet that just kind of floats for some reason. You're just, you're looking for like, <laughs> I don't understand magnets. <laughs> you just don't want to be too tight. You want to be spacious. These are the words. I used to say saved or converted. Now I say spacious and free. And that's something atheist, agnostic, we can all agree that that is a good inner state to cultivate. So when you're suffering, saying yes, thank you to it, even if you don't, necessarily believe it like my baby wakes up at like 5 30 in the morning and the first word out of my mouth in the dark bedroom even though i went to bed at midnight because i do stand up i say out loud yes i go yes and it's not to be phony because i don't believe it yet but by the s and yes i do believe it it's happened it's it's happened i go yes i'm not resisting we're back to buddhism i'm not saying i wish my baby i wish this was that i wish the baby would sleep later she didn't Fuck you. (laughs) What are you going to do? 
You can't control what happens to you. You control how you respond to it. And you control which you is responding to it. The big you goes, yes, here we are and we're doing it. What, speaking of your daughter, and I think we should probably move on to the Q&A Yeah, here we'll do some, some Q's and A's and then we'll get out of here. But speaking of your daughter, what, what can you do as a parent because you want to love her and support her and put her on the best path that she can be on, but also you don't want to control her. You've already addressed the issue of Red Sox onesies. onesies. My brother gave me one and I threw it. (laughs) But how do you, because I have a... am I Kathy? (laughs) (laughs) This is the, like, uh, usual suspects moment of the interview where we realized you were Kathy all along. Kathy Soze. Yeah. (laughs) But how do you... How do you, as a parent, try to use these principles you're talking about in parenting? But you're, like, releasing desire left and right. How do you release desire over this person who you care about probably more than anything else on planet Earth? I want to first tip my hat to the real parents. I have a baby. You know what I mean? There are people in the room that are like, okay, great idea. So I don't, I'll concede that I don't fully know what I'm talking about. But I can also tell you what I'm aiming for. And it's going to be schmaltzy, and I apologize. But she's, I'm not, I don't look at her as a vessel to fill up. I don't look at her as something I can teach. Natasha Leggero has this great joke about how men see babies as something they can stack up and lecture. <laughs> just like <laughs> You stack there. three of them. Yeah. They're tall enough that you can kind of just talk eye to eye to them. It's all ego stuff. It's like, I'm going to make another me, and it'll go out and keep being an asshole in the way that I'm an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> and that's parenting. Uh, I, this is the schmaltzy part. She's not something I can teach. She is the teaching. She's there. I know you guys, some of you listen to the podcast, so you've heard me say it a million, but I can't get over it. Jesus said, lest you be converted and become as little children, you won't see the kingdom of heaven. So it's right there. It's not a philosophy. It's not something you can hold in your brain and debate. It's the spaciousness of a child. So my baby is that. So I sat with Ramdas. I went on a private retreat with Ramdas. It was a spiritual, mystical experience for me. And I get it every morning with my baby because she's just, she's, she is enlightenment. You know what I mean? She's not loved by God. She is God's love. That's true f- for everybody in this room, by the way. There's not a God out there loving you. You, that's, you are the yes of the universe. It's already here. It's already happened. You don't have to earn anything. That's good news. That's great news. So the baby is the same thing. We let her melt us. That's what we do. And I say two things to her, and I miss her, so this is emotional for me, but I say, you're welcome here. That's, she has karma. She has her lawful thing. She has psychology. She has preferences. She has a life that she's going to live. You're welcome here. You're not my thing that I made. I didn't bring you here. You came here. And then I say, I'm here to help. That's it. I'm here to help. Cause it's, and her name is Lila, which means the dance, the dance of the universe, the play of the universe, which is the ultimate good news. There's, there's Cathy's and there's Trump's and there's good people and there's lovers and there's enemies. But I really believe, not in a literal way, but in a way that we can't understand, at some point, everyone here, we're going to take our masks off, we're going to go backstage, and we're going to laugh. This was a dance. And God is, an, is a flow. It's, it's a relationship. It's, it's, part- it's how you participate with the mystery. There's no test. You're fucking fine. <laughs> Let's do questions. All right. Let's do some Q&A. Thanks, guys. 
Were we going to? Uh, is there? You, oh, good. We have a microphone we over there. Maybe we could start over. The far right. Uh, hi. Is this on? Uh, I had the great fortune of my, my grandfather went through probably what you went through. And so my parents and then me, you know, I got raised in this very atheist or actually just non-religious household where yeah. a lot of the, what you're talking about was like me at three years old. You know, I just didn't have all the other stuff pushed on me. Right. Um, and one thing uh, I want to talk about is with enlightenment, I think of enlightenment as simply learning. And it's a continuous thing that I'm almost 60 years old and I'm enlightened every other day. And I think that's a big part of how we go through life is like passages. We pass through different phases and we're enlightened and then we learn something new about that and something new about that. Right. How do you feel about or you I think that that's, a, that's lovely. I, I'm all for learning and growing and stuff. I think what you, the way you're using enlightenment is when we say the enlightenment, right? It's the introduction of reason, Greek logic. It got us bridges and vaccines, and, and that's what we call the Enlightenment, right? It's also when we started criticizing spiritual texts and, and reading them literally and kind of throwing them away, which was also essential and great. But just like when I say consciousness, uh, Dr. Drew did my podcast. He didn't understand what I meant when I said a flower is conscien- conscious um, because he was thinking about it as like when you get knocked out, you're unconscious. Conscious? Why can't I say it? And when you're not knocked out, you're conscience. conscious. 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 It's a tough word. Yeah, I'm going to point to you when I want to say it. I'll do it. Conscience. <laughs> I wrote a book about it. <laughs> Wait, is that wrong? That's conscience, like your moral conscience. C-O-N-S-C-I-O. Well, you got it. I could type it. It's in my digital memory. Anyway. So there are these words that have these two ways of looking at that. So enlightenment, when we look at information that we store in our gray matter, is wonderful, and it makes life easier, and it gives life meaning, and it gives us a game to play. I'm talking about something different. I'm talking about who's learning. You know what I'm saying? When you go in your mind and say, what year did Columbus do this or whatever, who's Who's pointing the flashlight, right? So we have this flashlight. That's your awareness. Feel your big toe right now. Go and send it to your big toe. Don't move it. Just go and see if it's there. Come back. That's the spotlight of your awareness. And you can point at places. So when I'm talking about enlightenment, I'm talking about the light pointing at itself. I'm talking about turning it around and looking at what is learning. Who is learning? You go, I didn't know that. Who is the constant so a lot of teachers will say that thoughts, ideas, things we can learn are like clouds. And there are beautiful clouds, and there are clouds that we should share, and ideas that we need to grow and study and, and reproduce and break down and all the scientific method good stuff. But you're not the clouds. You're the sky. You're the thing that's... You're not the, the movie. You're the movie screen that it's projected on. That's what we're trying to say is enlightenment. So a child could be enlightened in the way that I'm using it. The way you're using it, like a, a scholar will be enlightened his whole life. And again, I'm not saying that's, it's just different from what I'm saying. When I say becoming like a child is enlightenment, it, it's so much about unlearning these programs. Our minds, Ramdas says our minds are beautiful servants, but terrible masters, right? And when we believe our thoughts, you kind of have to take 
the good with the bad sometimes. And it's hard when you believe I'm a, I'm a good, smart person. You also have to believe when it says you ain't shit. You know what I mean? Nobody likes you. You're an asshole. You're going to die alone. Swipe right as many times as you want. No one wants to suck your dick. <laughs> have you been reading my diary? <laughs> so this is, this, I'm, this is an important... <laughs> You're funny. <laughs> it's an important... Oh, I forget what I was going to say. It doesn't matter. Sorry, I derailed you. No, it's all good. It's just... It's all happening. What's that? It's okay to... Yeah, you don't have to believe that stuff. You don't have to believe those, the bad thoughts or the good thoughts. It's about... this. Yeah, that's what it is. It's really threatening to our egos if I tell you that it's not about being rational. It's, it's supposed to be mysterious because it is a mystery. But our egos and our achieving mentality, we want to know. And as Ramdas says, we want to know that we know. And we want to prove to others that we know. And again, that's great when we're building a bridge. But this mystery that you woke up in is so much more... We're dogs trying to understand the internet. So there's a humility there where you go... I had Tim Minchin on, who's a genius and an atheist. And I kept saying, I know, he's wonderful. I wouldn't change him for the world. But when I said the unknowable, he would correct me and say the not yet known, right? And that's fine. I'm glad there are people out there. I wouldn't change them for the world. I think there's some stuff that just is unknowable. There's just, as Terrence McKenna says, the world isn't stranger than we suppose. The world is stranger than we can suppose. You can't do it. And and that's what I like to stand in. It's not going to get us a new country or a new city or a a new car. But it's going to, you know, take you someplace different. (laughs) That's the best. I, that's the best way I can put it. All right, we'll go straight ahead. Nice. Hi, Pete. Hi, I'm Shana. Nice to see you. Hi, nice to see um, you. So I relate with you. I've been homesick and kind of trying to find my way back home. Yeah. So I'm wondering, how did you? How did you find that path again? I kind of. I can understand how like you get to a low and then you fill it, and you're like, oh, I want to go back up. So how did you get there? Yeah. I do want to be careful here because I don't, I'm not just like a psychedelic pusher. <laughs> but for me, when we talk about mystery, it's one thing to think about mystery. It's another thing to be like steeped in it, right? So when I, the psychedelic experiences I've had, I had one recently on my 40th birthday and I was <laughs> laying with Val and I was just rubbing my face in a circular motion on her face. And I went, do you even like this? <laughs> But I don't even really fully remember this. There was a big part of the trip where I just kept saying, with tears in my eyes, I went, it's ineffable, it's ineffable, which is a word for meaning, you know, it, you can't put words to it. So that's an experience of, of revelation. It's, an, it's a mystical experience induced chemically, right? So I went from reading about other people falling off their donkey on the road to Damascus to falling off my donkey. So mushrooms and, and psychedelics were important for me in that regard. The good news with Ramdas and why it was so important to me, because I don't, I've only tripped, I don't know, less than 20 times in my life. And I don't think it's, is that a lot? <laughs> Not in Portland. <laughs> but you can get there play, without, without that. Absolutely. Absolutely. The, the one way that there's this thing that Val and I do where we look in each other's eyes. You set a timer for the chimes, not radar chimes. <laughs> Something gentle. And you can do this tonight. In fact, 
definitely do it tonight if you want. Set a timer for four minutes and just look in each other's eyes. And not, and not to look in Val's eyes, but to look in the eyes, the eyes, eyes into awareness. Awareness pointing into awareness. Like when you point a camcorder at the monitor that it's filming, you know, and it starts going, wah, 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 wah. that's what it is. You will trip. You will trip. You'll have a psychedelic experience if you can do it. But that's the coolest thing is most people can't do it because the ego will stop existing around 90 seconds in. So that's why most people will be like, I can't, it's too much. If you have somebody that you trust that you can do that with, that is a way to have what I'm talking about without doing something illegal. (laughs) You can also do it, I mean, people get there a million different ways. It can be looking at photos of the Hubble telescope, anything that helps you zoom out. For me, I needed a big kick in the pants because my heart was so hard hardened to the idea of God. God had burned me so badly that I needed to buy God from a roadie at Bonnaroo. <laughs> but that was for me. That, that doesn't have to be everybody's experience. You can eye gaze. You can meditate. There's lots of different ways to do it. You can go to the botanical gardens and say, yes, thank you, and realize that it's not out there. That's why Buddha said, when you see the Buddha, kill the Buddha, because he's like, if you think it's out there, it's in the way. Alan Watts also said, burn the Bible every Easter. You should burn the Bible. Because ideas are far more dangerous idols because you think it's the ideas. You think it's something that you hold in your head. It's not. It's you. It's you. It's you. That's pointing you to you. So that's the same way of saying kill the Buddha. So you can find it lots of different ways. But that's definitely one practical way that I really like. Strong left. I like it. Pete, very nice to meet you, sir. Hi. Hi. Um, so from my impression of your philosophies, uh, a lot of it is very individually based. Uh, it's, it's your approach to the world and how you choose to interact with others. Um, my question is when you interact, like from, from more of a sociological standpoint, when others' influences come into your approach um, and how you can, you can maintain this without it being seen as, you know, um, I don't want to say like weakness or being stepped upon, but, yeah. but there's, there's a level of, of peace that others don't possess uh, yeah. and that others will see that piece um, or that, that ability. Take advantage. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's something that I've seen in my life. I don't know how many times yeah. when you attempt to be the, uh, when you attempt to get through and it's simply not allowed. Right. Um, so how do you approach that from your experiences? Yeah. You know, Ramdas would say, uh, go as high as you want. Just don't forget your zip code. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, there is a threat. We do live in a weird world where people take advantage of open-hearted people. That's the cost of being open-hearted. It's why we're not open-hearted. I don't think we actually hate other groups. I think it's too overwhelming to love everybody, at least in your mind it is. Your heart can do it easily, but your head wants to call them gang members so you don't have to cry that 15 people died. You know what I'm saying? So you go, it was the others. It was those people. Even though, you know... If you're an entrepreneur, they might just be doing what you would have been doing if you were in that neighborhood. You know what I'm saying? So it's too overwhelming to love. So we don't want to... Ramdas says the heart wants to give the keys away to the store, right? Any homeless person you see, if you listen to your heart, you're going to let them sleep in your house because it's you. It's you. Wouldn't you let... That's your mother. Wouldn't you let your mother in the house? But the brain goes, your mother might steal your TV or your mother might do something worse. You know, you, you got to remember your zip code and this is what I think Jesus is saying when he says, be in the world, but not of the world. So you got, don't, don't be a sucker, right? Keep, you got to, unfortunately, I think you do have to keep your guard up. Otherwise, you are going to 
you know, get sold a timeshare or be hurt <laughs> or broken. Is that in some way contradictory, Of course it is. <laughs> Welcome to the paradox. <laughs> I, but what I'm saying is, don't do anything you have to do. Just don't forget who you really are. You're the observing presence. So be the universe being streetwise. Be the universe having its heart broken that it can't let its mother in because you have children or you have, to, you have responsibilities or there's trust issues or whatever it is. Feel that. You know, people tell they're like, I miss my old faith, right? They say that. I'm like, yeah, me too, sometimes. It's fine. Be the universe missing your old faith. And if it serves, you have tea with it. And when it starts telling you gay people are evil, show yourself out. You know what I'm saying? But don't resist any of it. If you're mourning, if you're depressed, if you're doubting, don't be phony. Be the universe feeling doubt. That's what we're here to do. It's a, this is just a thought experiment. But if we were one thing and we were infinite and everything and we split into all of this, we did it to do it. Alan Watts says the meaning of life is life. Play it. Be smart. But don't forget who's watching you being smart. And don't think that it's really you. It's just a dance. So, I mean, find your own path. Find your own path? Find, find your balance. Find your balance. Understand that both will occur and there is no right or wrong or yes or That's right. The, you are the that's right. Work with it. Instead of resisting it, those conflicting feelings you have, that's also your karma, that's also your curriculum. And the ego wants certainty. The ego wants to go, well, I'm a holy man. Therefore, I'll wear these clothes and I will give all my possessions away. Maybe you're not there yet. Work with that. That's, that's your curriculum. So take it. That's what Ram Dass would say. You're in the third grade. Take the curriculum. You don't have to resist it. All right, y'all. We're far back, right? <laughs> I don't know why I'm the only one that laughed. That was great. <laughs> I think it's because Nick is running this like a football camp, and it's working. <laughs> hey, Pete, um, you may have just answered this for me, but, and I don't mean this to sound sassy, because I can't tell you how therapeutic your podcasts and your book have been for me. Yeah. But um, when you talk about like staring into somebody's eyes who you trust for four minutes and kind of getting like a pleasure hit from that... Um, I, like, how do you reconcile that with, like, turning around and posting something on Instagram? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. how do you um, so consciously strive for something that seems inherently meaningful with, like, something that seems inherently phony? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, welcome to the paradox. <laughs> it's not a dodge. I mean, I'm right there with you. I don't have the answer for that. Val and I will eye gaze, and then we'll watch Shark Tank. I don't know... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, I, I didn't mean to imply that you were dodging. I, like, oh, I'm no, yeah, I, I just don't want you to feel like... What I'm saying is I'm, I'm with you and I don't know, but I am saying there's a way you can watch Shark Tank that's a little less attached to it. <laughs> yeah. And there's a way... Dude, I have to post on fucking Instagram. I have to. Like, it's part of my job, and I, it sucks. But, like, you know what? I can love that, too. You know what I mean? I can say yes to that as well. I can say yes to the nastiness and the horniness and the doubt and the shame, the anger and the rage. I can say yes to Instagram. Yeah. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, and I, I can I say yes to being. Sometimes, dude, when I do this stuff, like being good or, or seeming good or having good projected onto you, like the first thing you want to do is go look at some porn and jerk it just to be like, I can't because I'm in it with you. You know what I mean? It's, it, I, I'm not selling certainty. The ego wants certainty, but I'm right where you are in that balance, not knowing. I just know that there are certain things like the eye gazing that help me remember who I am. And often when we do it, we will feel home. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, buddy. We won't move too far. I got one right here. <laughs> it's like Antiques Roadshow. Hi, like, hey, man. <laughs> I love you. Hi, buddy. Uh, first of all, I want to say I've listened to all your podcasts. Richard Rohr, Peter Rollins, yeah. Shane Moss. Uh, Whoa. Um, let's go a few years back. You were on uh, Greg Fitzsimmons' uh, Fitzdog Radio, and um, uh, you, you were talking about Eckhart Tolle, and I couldn't remember the name at the end of the podcast, so I tweeted you that night, and like within like an hour, you tweeted me back. And my buddy kept on saying, ah, oh, no, it's his assistant, it's his assistant. I'm like, well, you don't know Pete Holmes, right? You don't know Pete Holmes. And uh, my question is, like, was, was that, that you? you? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I see we've almost run out of questions. <laughs> that was a good one. Yeah, that actually was pretty good. All right, we got one right here. Okay. Uh, hey, Pete, I love uh, your podcast. Thanks for being here. Um, uh, I'm wondering, um, you know, I think the comment you mentioned about us all being really present and connected when we're all laughing together, uh, I can really feel that. I think we can all feel that. And I'm wondering how your spiritual journey has change the way you craft your comedy, which it seems like initially there must be kind of anticipation of an endorphin rush, you know, as you're thinking about laughs and has it evolved the way you approach your comedy? Right. I I, I said to somebody recently, I was like, I'm 40 and I I feel like I'm sort of done doing, I, I love pure silliness. I just did Jeremiah Watkins podcast and it was so fun and it was just two hours of just basically farting around and and I love doing getting dug with high and and there's a there's a place there's a place for just pure silliness so my comedy I'm always going to do stand-up I'm I'm working on a new hour now I'll I'll definitely be back to Portland obviously can't wait to come back and and we'll do it and my hope is that people sort of like with the last special that I taped here um yeah I want there to be some some stuff that makes you go, huh, a little bit. But the, the primary feeling being joy and just laughter, you know what I mean? It's a weird thing that, like, we're talking about this stuff directly, and I feel like it reached a lot of us, and that's, that's a beautiful thing. And then there's just a, a much larger group that needs these subtle messages sent indirectly. And that's why fiction is so great. You know, that's why I want to stay in fiction. That's why I want to stay in silliness. But it's possible. Like, I think my ways joke is about mindfulness. I think green eggs and ham is about choosing joy. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't have to stop and be like, you see what I did there? And, you know, like, <laughs> insist that people come with the language that you use into the philosophy that you have. I think there's a, a, a powerful thing to come together and laugh and then have people 
Never think about it, but go like, I feel lighter. You know what I mean? Because I go to comedy and sometimes I laugh, but I go home a little bit more afraid that someone's going to steal my car. And I can't, you know what I'm saying? Like I just turned down a movie where I was playing a serial killer and I was like, that's, that's Val's worst fear. You know what I mean? It might have been- That you're literally a serial killer? Because <laughs> I could believe it. I mean, I guess so did the people making the movie. And I was honored to be considered- but I'm just at a point now where I'm like, what is the fucking point, man? What is the point? If you're not, if we're not, like the proverb, the Chinese proverb, if we're not feeding each other, what's the fucking point? And so much comedy, I love comedy, but I also hate a lot of comedy, is I'm like, oh, wow, I'm a little bit more afraid now. I can't put my finger on it, but you made me more afraid. You know, because the, the ego got the mic and the ego is scared a lot. And, and I need a little bit of resolution. I need a little bit of nutrition in there. But I also, my nightmare is like, you know, Pete's new hour, very nutritional. Like that would, <laughs> that would kill me. So when I'm writing jokes, sometimes I will reverse engineer. I'll take an idea like love your enemy and I'll write a joke about it. But I'll never, I'm not going to like fade up a graphic that, with a Bible verse. <laughs> But I am curious, like, what is actual Christian comedy? Or what, I'm not a Christian, I'm just saying, what is actual spiritual comedy? You know what I'm saying? Well, since Mike Warnke Life is fucking right, bro. (laughs) The sniper in the hills. Life. (laughs) You're fucking A right. You're fucking A right. That is beautiful. Uh, we, uh, let's just do a couple more questions. If that's okay, we'll cool. do two more. Because we also, a lot of you want to get your book signed by Pete and you want to talk to Pete, which is going to happen around yeah. the corner. Um, so if you don't get to ask your question, you can ask it quickly then. It's fine. Yeah. I have nothing else to do. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. What, what am I going to do? <laughs> it sounded snarky. I mean it. I have nothing else to do. <laughs> Choose a woman. I hope you have a lot of feminine energy, oh, bro. First of all, you, I, I do. You're, you're assuming that this person identifies as male. That is, that's true. That's true. That's you true. You That's true. Thank you. Um, you just opened up a can of burns. <laughs> so um, you mentioned in your book uh, your divorce and how that was an experience of grace for you. And I would imagine you would say the same about um, kind of leaving Christianity and finding atheism. Um, and grace is such a loaded word in... Um, evangelical circles. So I'm curious how that word has maybe transformed or, um, I mean, it's so potent. It's a, there's a lot to it. And so I just, the development of, I guess, how you experience grace now and how that might've transformed from your evangelical days to where you are now um, and how you experience it today. Yeah. I used to think grace and God blessing me was things going my way. I forget who wrote that, but there was like slot machine God or Santa Claus God. You know what I mean? Who wouldn't believe in that God? He's, he's paying out. You know what I mean? It's, it's very tempting to worship our good mood. You know what I mean? To worship our euphoria or you, you get the job and then you believe in God or your team wins and you believe in God. I think that's why you all kind of quietly hate when a, a quarterback thanks God. I think the losing team, I'm not trying to be t- trite. He should thank God. He should thank God. Maybe not in the moment. It's really important when people are going through divorces, I always just say, I'm so sorry. And a lot of people are. A lot of people from our tradition, you just say, I'm so sorry. I'd kick myself in the nuts if I was like, it's grace. 
That's fucked up. It's a fucked up thing to say. And that's why I don't like to tackle big suffering. I just want to share some techniques that help with small suffering. The truth is a lot of the great teachers would say that that stuff applies to big suffering, but that's a little out of my pay grade. But now I see grace as what's happening to you. <laughs> you know what I mean? And how we work with it. Ramdas would say it's like the sandpaper that's sort of like grinding on us. Yeah. It's a constant. This is grace. What's up? It's painful but shedding? Yeah, shedding. Exactly. It's, it's, you're the butterfly in the cocoon and you got to come out when you come out. That, all that sort of stuff. But uh, yeah, so I used to think grace was like I won the lottery. And now I, I see grace and they printed the wrong version of my book. Because <laughs> for a second there, I really believed that Pete was a thing and his needs mattered. You know what I mean? There's a lot of, this is straight Ramdas too, there's a lot of freedom in realizing that not having your needs met and having your needs met, there's not that huge of a difference. Past the, the survival ones, when these things ha- that happen to us that we think we could never have survived and we do survive them, you realize you're not who you thought you were. Who is it? Oh, I'd die if that happened to me. Here you are. That's Eckhart Tolle. He goes, I can't live with myself anymore. Who's, a, who's the I in that statement? So these things come along to shake you out of your cage. I can't live with myself anymore? Who's observing the myself that's too much for you? That's grace. Fucking A. <laughs> okay. What if he cho- chose another man? <laughs> that, would be like, that would be so fucked up. <laughs> My name is Andrea. And what is I- it? My name is Andrea, and I identify as her. (laughs) Okay, all right. Thank you, Andrea, for your truth. Um, I'm a therapist. I also see a therapist. And as soon as I say that, I feel like my ego is speaking. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. As a good therapist, you know that's fine. (laughs) I do know that's fine. Um, I was really moved tonight by your vulnerability and your honesty, so I wanted to thank you for that. Thank you. And what I was thinking about is um, Ram Das and his, this is a quote that really moves me about we're all just walking each other home. And of course, that might be a little on the nose now that I just said that. No, but I, I, wondered, I wondered if you could touch on that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, we're all just walking each other home. People ask me if I want to like, if I go on real time with Bill Maher, would I try to convert Bill Maher? I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> this, is, this is we're all walking each other home. I see Bill Maher as gorgeous, essential energy. I see people who disagree with everything I said tonight as gorgeous, essential energy. It's not a flaw. The positive and the negative, that's the universe. The yes and the no, the zeros and the ones, this is it. And it's all setting the stage for the big show. And we're all in it together. I used to think the Jews and the Muslims and the atheists were over there and we had to turn them into us. And that's the most fucked up way to go through the world. It's the most fucked up way to go through the world. That's why it's beautiful to say, I'm saying yes to all of you. And I feel your yes for me. And that's a good way to end the show, Andrea. Andrea or Andrea? Andrea. Andrea. Let's walk each other the fuck home. (laughs) Literally. Thank you so Pete much. Holmes, everybody. Thank you for being here, guys. I really appreciate it. Keep it crispy. Come say hi. I'll be over there if you want a book. Give it up for Luke one more time, everybody. 
We'll see you again, guys. Good night.